lock and load. This is GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Georgia Carry's Executive Director, Jerry Henry. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. The leader in the fight to reclaim and expand our Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. Here's your host, Executive Director of GeorgiaCarry.org, Jerry Henry. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to GCO Radio Hour. I'm here today, Jerry Henry, with uh, our Vice President, John Monroe, who is going to discuss uh, with me the things that happened a couple of days ago at Sine Die, the bills that uh, the last bill that was passed, and then uh, the other two bills that we got passed. And if we have enough time, we're probably going to talk a little bit about litigation that might be going on that would be of interest to you and uh, and all the members. So, uh, first off, I'd like to welcome John. Hey, John. Jerry, how you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. Uh, let's let's start off with, um, you want to hit the big stuff or you want to go to the, the smaller stuff and get that out of the way? Oh, we might as well hit the highlights. Okay. <laughs> well, I would guess the highlights then would be uh, HB 280, Campus Carry Bill. Yeah. Campus Carry Light, as we call it. Um, we finally got a, a bill out at uh, about 12.15 on uh, Friday morning to that would allow us to carry on campus so let's go over what that would allow us to do as compared to what it is now and what uh, what we're actually gaining in that bill well first of all you have to have a license uh, for it to apply at all if you don't have a weapons carry license then you still cannot carry on a college campus uh, in any fashion uh, we probably also also should mention that this only applies to public colleges and universities in georgia private ones can still um, or are still off limits? Um, uh, can they uh, can they allow you to carry on their campuses, or is that prohibited by statute? No, it's prohibited by statute. I because, thought that was uh, the case. The um, the bill only uh, applies to public um, colleges and universities, and uh, which means that under existing law, it's still a crime to carry uh, on a public or I'm sorry on a private campus okay well, I understand it that they did not want to get into that issue and have to fight both of them at the same time so that's probably something that we'll see in the future right uh, frankly from my standpoint that should just be decriminalized and then the private property can be treated as any other private property right. in Georgia and the owner it, can do except, whatever he wants except for churches of course well yeah churches are special for well I don't know why <laughs> well because somebody wants them that way best I can tell I so yes we have a couple of places that are off limits, as I understand it. Yep. Um, if you have a license, you can carry on a college campus, a public college campus generally. Uh, there are some places off limits, um, uh, athletic and sporting event property and buildings, um, preschools uh, or child care. And those are, are not just any old place that's designated as a preschool. It actually has to qualify as one and, and have a secured entrance and that kind of thing. Um, it also doesn't apply to um, uh, rooms being used for a couple of, uh, I'm not really familiar with these programs, so they're dual enrollment programs. Uh, one's called uh, Move On When Ready, uh, and another one is uh, College and Career Academy. My understanding is they apply to uh, high school students who are taking some college classes. Yeah, but I, aren't those mostly on technical schools, if I'm not mistaken? I, I think that's true. They're not your standard run-of-the-mill kind of university-type classes that you might take if you're a regular uh, yeah. four-year student. Yeah, I know John or uh, Ed Stone looked them up the other day, and there weren't any 
uh, at least the career academies on Georgia Tech, uh, Georgia State, UGA, the larger schools in in Georgia. So right. that wouldn't apply to those those particular schools, but there could be some uh, that are not technical schools that could apply to it. Could, yep. And frankly, um, if you were to ask me today uh, how a person is supposed to know, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know how you would know. I don't either. I, my understanding is that the, the, it's, the board of directors is – been given a directive that if this bill passes that they will determine how to do that and let everybody know that you will so that you'll know exactly what you can and can't do board of regents you mean uh board of regents what i yeah. say uh board of directors ah i'm sorry i'm yeah. talking about you being on the board of directors <laughs> and i i didn't uh, now that we mentioned i didn't introduce you as such john is one of the founding members of our uh, board members of georgiacarry.org and has been around a long time and and has as we as I alluded to earlier, we're going to talk about maybe some uh, litigation that we're involved in. And John has been the primary attorney on most of those litigations. Also have uh, Marshall Parker over here uh, working the board again for us this week, who is a uh, member in good standing of org as well. So now that I've interrupted you and totally got you off your train of thought. Uh, well, there are some uh, some more places off limits. Um, also, uh, faculty, staff, and administrative offices um, and rooms where disciplinary proceedings are conducted. Um, frankly, I, I'd have preferred that it said are being conducted um, because I don't know how you would know if a room is uh, sometimes used for uh, disciplinary hearings, but maybe they're designated. I don't know that. Well, they're kind of like courtrooms then in our, our current statute. It might be a courtroom. It might have been a courtroom, and it might be again someday. Yeah, when I, I mean, when I was in college, I think they just randomly selected a uh, a meeting room or conference room to be a place where a disciplinary hearing was held. So um, I, I don't know how you would know. Um, uh, and lastly, this only applies to handguns, um, not all weapons, um, and it has to be a handgun that you can carry with a weapons carry license. Uh, I'm not sure what that would mean because I think you can carry any handgun with a weapons carry license. Um, and then lastly, the handgun has to be concealed, um, so you can't openly carry on a college campus. Okay. Um, we're getting a lot of, of – um, I'm getting a lot of questions. We're getting a lot of questions on Facebook. There's an awful lot of talk about this. Uh, there are a lot of people that are saying that this is a uh, – this bill stinks. It's not any good. We shouldn't have uh, shouldn't even been near it, let alone let it pass. Well, obviously, we don't. We're not the ones that pass and let things pass. So we didn't have uh, that was not within our purview to stop. Right. However, uh, what do you feel about the bill? Do you think that it's a it's a worthwhile move forward? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I would have preferred to seen more. Frankly, I just soon. Uh, see colleges, um, universities, and even K through 12 just plain decriminalized um, for people with licenses. But um, we don't make the laws; we only suggest what we think they ought to be. Um, but in my view, we're going from uh, current laws: you can have a uh, gun in your car on campus, and then there are some kind of generic exceptions, like when you're picking up or dropping off a student. But other than that, uh, you can't carry on a college campus. And if this bill becomes law, you'll be able to carry in uh, most areas of a college, uh, public college campus. So to me, it's an improvement. We're going in the right direction. It's not as far as we'd like to go, but um, nothing else uh, 
has uh, has happened all at once. We have to kind of do things incrementally. Right. Well, that's my that's my take on it as well. It's it's a whole lot better than what we got if it gets signed into law, which uh, we kind of expect uh, that uh, Governor Deal will sign this bill. Uh, if it gets signed into law, then we do away with the uh, misdemeanor for having your farm anywhere other than your car on the college campus. Right now, there was a, a lady down in uh, Columbus, Georgia, who was going to a beauty school that had car trouble or a wreck or something. They had to tow her car off the, the campus, and she had a farm in her car with a Georgia weapons license. She took it out of her car to put it in the, the truck or the car that was picking her up, and she was seen with that firearm. Now, there was not a policeman there to arrest her or anything, but she wound up being suspended out of that school because she had her firearm somewhere besides her car. This kind of thing won't happen anymore. Right now, everybody's concerned about people having their cars broken into and having firearms stolen. But right now, if you want it in your trunk, you have to put it in your trunk before you get on the college campus. Otherwise, you're violating the law. That's right. So it's better than what it was, and people are also asking, well, I'm going to class, or I've been going to class, and I'm going into a place now that's off limits. What do I have to do? What do I get to do with my gun? Well, same thing you had to do with it before. You couldn't carry it on there, so you didn't even have to make that decision because you couldn't have it with you. It was in your car. So I I think this is... is, uh, it's a it's a good step forward. It's a good first step. We will fight to get it better. But uh, right now, it's really all that we could get out of that apple. And uh, to think otherwise would be rather foolish. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, and uh, important thing to keep in, in mind with all of this is gun laws are complicated. They always have been, and apparently they always will be. If you're going to carry a gun, it's your responsibility to keep up with where you can and where you can't carry. And if you don't want to take on that responsibility, then just don't carry. If That's you, correct. If you don't have, want to have to worry about which places on a college campus you can or can't carry, uh, then just don't do what you're doing today and don't carry on a college campus. Uh, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, the thing about it is if you're really against this bill, then uh, call the governor and tell him. I mean, we're we're suggesting that our people call the, the governor and, and ask him to sign it, but you certainly have the right to do whatever you want to in that case if you don't want to do it you don't have to do it just just go back and have him veto it stay where you are keep your gun in your in your car the other thing that i would say about having guns stolen out of cars people that seems to be a one of those other emotional uh, outbursts because right now since uh, for the last seven years we've been able to keep farms in cars at college campuses and we have not seen an uptick or a rash in uh, any kind of break-ins right we got a break coming up here for our first segment. This first segment just kind of flew on by here. I want to tell you, remind you that uh, you need to go to georgiacarry.org. You can sign up online. You can renew online. You can learn about us if you're not a member already. And uh, you can also get the podcast there as well as you can uh, get the podcast commercial free from Newstalk1160.com uh, anytime after this coming Monday. So uh, we will be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with GeorgiaCarry.org's executive director, Jerry Henry. 
Welcome back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio. Uh, Jerry Henry with John Monroe, our vice president and founding board member of GeorgiaCarry.org. John, remind me during the break that we didn't quite finish going over the bill. There is one penalty uh, for being caught carrying in an off-limits location on campus. So, John, explain that to us, please. Yeah, the the penalty for uh, for a violation has been changed for people with licenses uh, for the first offense. Uh, it used to be um, a typical misdemeanor punishment, which is a year in jail and a $1,000 fine. But now the uh, the bill provides that for the first offense for a license holder, uh, the penalty maximum penalty would be $25 and, uh, and no period of incarceration. Second one, though, would be a misdemeanor and whatever you're lucky enough to get out of court. That's right. Second offense would be a typical misdemeanor punishment, which would be a max of a $1,000 fine and a year in jail. Uh, and that wouldn't necessarily be the same location. That would just be a location. For instance, if I were in a classroom uh, with a high schooler, that would be one. Now, if I went to, say, the athletic building, would that be two or would that be another one? Um, it would, as long as it's a, I think it would have to be a public college campus. So it wouldn't be any violation of the school provision uh, 1611 to 127.1. I think it would have to be a violation of this no, I was particular talking, bill. With the high schoolers, I was talking about walking into a classroom where high schoolers are on campus, on college campuses. Right. Yeah, that would be, that a, would violation. be a violation. And if you did another violation of, say, being in a fraternity house, that would that would trigger the full misdemeanor penalty. Okay, that's but, what I want to make sure. But if one of those had been, for example, carrying in a kindergarten classroom, um, if that had been your first offense and then your second one was carrying in the fraternity house, I think you, the fraternity house would still be subject to the max $25 fine. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's kind of what I that, – that's kind of a, an unclear thing right now, but we'll find that out, I guess, as we go on. At any rate, the fact is, today, if you get caught, it could be up to $1,000 and or a year in jail the first time and the second and the third, et cetera, and whereas in – this bill, if it's signed on and goes into effect July the 1st, then it would only be a $25 fine with no incarceration on the first time. That's correct. Okay. So that that in itself is, is much better than what we had. We had another bill passed, and this one didn't go over sign to die. This was uh, this one passed uh, back uh, Way back on Tuesday. <laughs> no, no. This, this, was it Tuesday? I, th- I, th- th- I think the House agreed. I think the you're Senate right. I'm sorry. You, you're right. You're exactly right. It was on Tuesday. Uh, they, uh, they came out of the House. It was out of the Judiciary Committee the week before. Uh, and then it came out of the, the ha- out of the Senate on Tuesday. The House uh, agreed to the substitute. And we go over a few of those, those uh, provision, provisions. Some of them we had nothing to do and are not really particularly interested in but they are this is uh these bills omnibus bills are a lot of times called christmas tree bills because they just start lighting up with everything that has anything to do with that particular uh, subject that it's in and that's kind of what's happened here although we did get i think most of what we asked for uh, the first part is a financial uh georgia firearms industry non-discrimination act that has to do with banking are you familiar with that, or do we just go on on that one? Well, I'm familiar with it. As you mentioned, it wasn't anything that uh, Georgia Kerry was um, was pushing for, but basically what it does is prohibit discrimination against uh, businesses engaged in the firearms industry um, from financial institutions. Right. So, for example, if if you've got a 
small business as a gun store, um, a bank cannot discriminate against you for the purpose of uh, of a loan application. Or Just because like of the fact that you are a firearm store. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and then they, uh, this is surprising, but they uh, they also added more badge carriers or previous badge carriers to 1611-130, the exemption law. Uh, another thing they did was, that was interesting to me is that if this is signed into law, a knife means a cut will be will mean right now it means a, a blade greater than five inches in length. Right. A knife means a cutting instrument designed for the purpose of offense and defense, consisting of a blade that is greater than twelve inches in length, which is fastened to a handle. Now, my question to you is: Does that mean that my five-inch pocket knife is no longer a knife? It, it does mean that. Um, now you have to have a license to carry a pocket knife that's got a blade that's five inches or longer. Um, if this bill becomes law, uh, you can carry a knife with a blade up to 12 inches in length without a license. Okay. Uh, so we're, Well, that's what I, that's what I, I understood that part. My question is, I, I guess, was how much does preemption have to do with a lot of the cities have, if you've ever looked at the the laws in the cities on carrying knives, they go from anything over two inches up to to three or four inches, that's anything over three or four inches. I think in Atlanta it's over three and a half inches or four it was, then uh, it was against the law to carry that. Does that does this preempt that? No, but we've got uh, changes made to um, 1611-173 a couple of years ago that preempt all local regulation of, of weapons, including knives. Mm. So now the city of Atlanta can't say anything about knives at all. If it's legal under state law, you can carry it in Atlanta. Okay, so that's what I—that was what I was uh, looking for right there. But we're graduating from uh, from even big pocket knives to uh, uh, to bigger knives like Bowie knives and things right, like that. Right. Right. Uh, who knows? It may grow to machetes one day. Yeah. <laughs> we also uh, uh, this next part of the bill, we'll discuss HB four hundred six as well. HB four hundred six was actually put into this bill as well to try to make sure that that got passed. HB 406 was the reciprocity bill whereby the state of uh, the uh, the attorney general for Georgia would not recognize the uh, state of Virginia's license because they will not allow anyone under 21 years old to carry a handgun. You want to elaborate on that a little bit? I believe we had a lawsuit on that one. Right, yeah, the, that that lawsuit is still pending, but um, Virginia started recognizing Georgia licenses, but refuses to recognize licenses issued to people under 21. Um, and as you recall, a couple of years ago, uh, the law was changed to allow people who had been honorably discharged from the armed forces and who were under 21 to get a license. Uh, so we do have, obviously it's it's kind of unusual to be honorably discharged and be under 21, but it can happen. So we do have some people in Georgia, uh, I understand it's not very many, but there are some people in Georgia that have a license and are under 21 because they were honorably discharged. Virginia will not recognize those particular licenses um, issued by Georgia uh, when those people, when uh, the people with licenses are in Virginia. Because of that, the Attorney General of Georgia uh, says that no licenses issued um, by Virginia will be recognized in Georgia. So if you have a Georgia license, um, or I'm sorry, a Virginia license, uh, you're out of luck in Georgia. Right. Well, this bill will take care of that, 
and it says that uh, basically no other state shall be required to recognize and give effect to a license issued pursuant to this part that is held by a person who is younger than 21 years of age. Right. So, therefore, uh, they will do that. The other thing is that we found out during our lawsuit is that the attorney general does not have to, according to him, does not have to create and maintain the list of reciprocal states. Right. One of the things that the attorney general said in response to uh, to our litigation is, well, look, I don't even have to publish uh, whose licenses will we'll recognize. I'm just doing that as a public service. If you're going to sue me over it, I'll just quit doing it. Well, this law codified that he will do that and keep that li- list. So that, that's correct. If that's signed into law, this one and 406 as well, either one of those will do it. Both uh, these two bills, HB 292, which we're discussing right now, and 406, which we're intermingled with, will become effective upon the signature of the governor. HB 280 will become effective July the 1st. Okay, so if that doesn't continue. As long as it's not vetoed. Well, I said if he – didn't I say if he signed it? Well, it would. It could become effective without uh, – become law without him signing it. Well, that's it. true. That's true. I, I, I forget about some of these things. That's why I have you around. Um, this also extends a, a courtesy – to people with a reciprocal license from a reciprocal state. For instance, anybody from Texas right now with a license can come here and spend as much time as they want to care anywhere you and I can. It's no big deal. It's legal because we have reciprocity with them. However, if they move here and they get a Georgia weapons license, or they get a Georgia driver's license, then their Texas uh, weapons license is no longer good. They have to go without one until they can get down to the probate court and get a pass a background check, the fingerprints and all that, and get a, another license. This bill would allow that license to last for 90 days until they received their Georgia weapons license. Anything after 90 days, they'd be out of luck. Right. So that's a courtesy to those, those people who have moved here, and there's been a lot of people that we've heard complaints about. Uh, the other thing it would do is it would allow the um, – it would allow the probate courts to change not only the name but the address of people who, whose license is over 90 days uh, before their expiration date. They can have their license, na- license their name changed or their um, address changed, which right now is just about impossible to do. Right. We had a, uh, a member uh, who called me one day. She had gotten married and changed her name. And she went to the probate judge to get a new license issued in her name, and the probate judge wanted to charge her seventy-five bucks to have a new license issued. Yep. So that'll take care of this. Uh, We're coming up to another break. Uh, Just sneak up on it. This is just going too fast. At any rate, be sure and go to judgecarry.org website, look it up, and remember newstalk1160.com for the commercial-free podcast, and we will be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with GeorgiaCarry.org's Executive Director, Jerry Henry. Welcome back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio. Jerry Henry and John Monroe sitting here talking about the, the laws that were recently passed here in the state of Georgia. We're currently going over HB 292. Uh, there's a couple other things that we want to make sure we discuss. There's there's still more things in here that are really of of little importance to us. They um, they 
talk about the probate court and the Department of National Resources should have safety information available, which is fine, but we're not sure how good their safety information is sometimes. Uh, one of the things it does is it changes the time that the, the, um, that the law enforcement has to get the information back to the probate court or probate judge. Right. It's currently 30 days, and it's reduced to 20, which still is uh, way more time than is needed. Um, nowadays, I think uh, all or virtually all counties are doing digital fingerprinting, and the GBI uh, processes digital fingerprints, usually within a matter of minutes, but certainly I think 24 hours is, is the outside. So uh, 20 days is about 20 days more than is needed. Yep, probably so. But uh, the other thing is uh, in that uh, same area uh, the judge of the probate court shall not suspend the processing of application or extend delay or avoid any time requirements provided under that that paragraph right we have a problem uh, some counties are a lot a lot worse than others but we have a problem with probate judges um, they call it suspending the license application if they find something in a person's background that i guess they consider questionable uh, that they want to investigate, um, they suspend uh, processing the application and take weeks, months, sometimes years uh, to look into whatever it is, despite the fact that uh, the licensing statute was changed uh, many years ago from a uh, somewhat permissive um, regime in which the probate judge was told to issue the license if they find the person eligible. Now what the statute says is the probate judge must is issue the license unless they find the person ineligible. Uh, so for me what that means is um, if on the 45th day or the, the longest day possible for the judge to issue the license, if the judge hasn't found something to make the person ineligible, there, there's only one option available, and that's issue the license. Right. Uh, let's see here. There's also... Uh uh, some language in there about the about the uh, courts. If you're found guilty of a crime, the courts uh, have a process to go to the probate court and find out if you have a license and if it's valid and what have you. There, there is no database in Georgia for Georgia weapons holders, and there, nobody can just go in and say, "Does this guy have a license?" They have to do that through court proceedings. Is that not correct? Right. If, uh, if you com are convicted of a crime um, that could be grounds for revocation of your license, uh, now the judge uh, presiding over your criminal case um, can ask you if you have a license and report your conviction to the judge of the probate court that issued your license, and then that judge can um, uh, initiate revocation proceedings if he or she desires to. Okay. Uh, but that doesn't mean you'll ne necessarily get it revoked just because of that. It depends on what the what it was. Well, and um, what it's it optional with the probate judge even to do it. But um, but even then, you're entitled to a hearing uh, to determine if um, you have in fact been convicted of something that um, that can uh, result in revocation. Okay. Um, also has to do with. Um, uh, a lot of it is, is still in 160 and courthouse securities. And um, there's two other that are fairly important to us, at least. One of them is it defines a commercial airport. Now, why would we need to define a commercial airport? Well, uh, you might remember we had a case against uh, 
the Floyd County Sheriff's Office uh, a year or so ago, and um, because they have that's where the Wings Over North Georgia uh, Air Show is held, and they prohibit uh, carrying firearms there. And we sued them, saying you can't do that because you're preempted from regulating uh, firearms at the local level. And their defense was, well, uh, there's a law in Georgia that says that you can't carry a firearm past security of a commercial service airport. And we said, well, that's true, but you're not the Atlanta airport. You're the Floyd County airport, and you're not a commercial service airport. And they said, yes, we are. We've got a canteen, and we sell peanuts and stuff, so that makes us commercial. So uh, now there's provision in the bill that defines what it means to be a commercial service airport, and Floyd County will not qualify. Yes, it means an airport that receives scheduled passenger aircraft service from any major airline carrier. And then we turn around and define major airline carrier. That means an airline that has more than a billion dollars in annual operating revenue during a physical year. I don't think they will qualify for that either. That would be a lot that of peanuts. Would, that would be a lot of peanuts and a lot, a lot of, a lot of small airplanes as well. Yep. Uh, the last thing that's on my list to discuss in this bill is uh, uh, protection for uh, firearms instructors. There's a lot of firearms, and I, I, a lot of firearms instructors, and I'm not really sure why, but there's a lot of firearms instructors who feel threatened by lawsuits from someone who uh, has a crime committed against them that they taught how to use a firearm. Now, I, again, I I know you can sue a bologna sandwich if you want to. I've seen some that needed suing, by the way. But um, if if I go out, it doesn't matter to me who's trained me. If I go out and I shoot somebody, I, that's my responsibility, not this guy four days back or four years back. But... This says that any instructor who lawfully instructs, educates, or trains a person in a safe, proper, or technical use of a firearm shall be immune from civil liability. It was a late night, Thursday night, and I still hadn't woke up. I understand. <laughs> from, shall be immune from civil liability for any injuries caused by the failure of such person to use such firearm properly or lawfully. So as long as a guy goes out and uses, that you've trained, goes out and uses his gun in the manner that you train him, you can't be sued. If he goes away from that manner, then you can't be sued, right? Well, you know, I'm not sure it it covers every situation because it implies that if the person goes out and commits a crime, uh, that you don't have liability, uh, or that you could have liability, right. or you don't have immunity, I should say. Right. Um, but anyway, I mean, it, it affords some protection. I've I've talked to a lot of um, firearm safety instructors who were concerned that um, somebody would say that they were trained by by that person, and that, so they did what they were trained to do, um, and that some third party that got shot would sue them. So this does provide them some measure of protection against things like that. Okay. Well. Um that basically concludes the bills. Do you have anything else you want to say about them? No, I think that covers them. I think we did a pretty good job of chewing through that stack of things. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about a couple of other things. We've, uh, I know we've got a couple of lawsuits uh, that are pending and uh, are in various locations uh, throughout the state, various courts. Mm-hmm. And uh, why don't you bring our members up to date on that? Well, we've already touched on one, and that's the case against the Attorney General um, regarding the Virginia reciprocity. Now, if uh, HB 292 becomes law, 
or or uh, or the other bill, e- either 406. one, four hundred six. Um, that potentially would moot that case, which is fine because all we're really wanting to do is get Virginia licenses recognized. Right. Uh, but that case is pending, and it's currently scheduled for a hearing on the attorney general's motion to dismiss uh, later this month. Okay. Um, we've also got um, our long-standing case against the Atlanta Botanical Gardens um, over whether they can prohibit people from carrying guns on their property. And uh, our position is because they lease their their property from the city of Atlanta, that they're subject uh, to uh, the provisions that, um, that a person who leases um, um, public property can't uh, prohibit firearms on their on their property. Um, that's already been uh, dismissed once. We went up to the Supreme Court and got it reversed. Went back to uh, the Superior Court in Fulton County, and um, and then it was um, wasn't really dismissed. It was uh, summary judgment was granted, which means uh, has the same effect. The case was ended um, in the Gardens' favor. Uh, so now that is on appeal to the Georgia Court of Appeals. Yeah. Uh, what else? Did we got anything else? Well, we just settled a case against the uh, Richmond County Sheriff mm-hmm. who was um, imposing a 10-day waiting period on this commercial sale of used firearms. Um, he uh, has. Uh, we settled that case. He's agreed to stop doing that. Um, he no longer imposes the waiting period, and he agreed to pay all of our costs and attorney's fees. Good. Uh, in fact, I went down there with you on that case. You did. Must yeah. have been my you, my wonderful technical uh, tr- testimony that got us got us to, out of that. Got you us through you, that. you were our star witness. Yeah, they didn't want to come back and talk to that guy anymore. Uh, I think you put the fear of God in him. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, we're coming up to the end of our third segment. We have one further segment to go. Again, I want to remind you, GeorgiaCarry.org. Uh, you can join. You can renew. If you're not a member, you should be a member. We need uh, everybody we can get to call the governor, ask him to support these bills. And um, it's only $20 a year, the best $20 a year you will spend, basically, in any year. Uh, we also have uh, GCO Radio on our website where you can get the podcast. You can also get the commercial-free podcast from Newstalk1160.com. And we will be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with GeorgiaCarry.org's executive director, Jerry Henry. Welcome back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio. This is our final hour. I'm here with John Monroe. I do want to mention. I, I believe my next, my guest for next week will be Matt Kilgo from uh, U.S. Law Shield. We'll talk about a few things that uh, that are idiosyncrasies that we know about, and uh, uh, since they're one of our gold sponsors and and a sponsor of this program, we'll uh, give you a little more information on them. Uh, we have discussed the the ins and outs that, that, as we know them, of the three bills that were passed in this year's General Assembly. And I've asked John in this last segment, I'd like for him to tell you a little bit about his history with Georgia Care and how he got involved. And one of the things that I, I like to point out to people, I hear a lot of times people say, you Georgia boys, y'all got that together. The only thing is, we just don't have too many Georgia boys that are that are in this outfit, that are running this outfit when you get right down to it. We have 
uh, our board, our Kelly is from South Carolina. Is that not correct? Right. Our president's from South Carolina. Our vice president's from Wisconsin. Our secretary and treasurer are both from Georgia, I believe. Uh, and we have one other member, board member from Georgia. One of the founding members, uh, Mike Minkus, was uh, is from Philadelphia. Yep. Dean Malice was from New Jersey. New York. New York. Um, Matt, uh, Chuck Turney is from Missouri. Kansas. Kansas. Close enough. Missouri, Kansas. What's the difference? Uh, Kansas. And then I came in here after y'all got started up, and I'm from Texas. So it's a mishmash of people that just came together at a particular time, saw a need, and, and did our best to change it. So... Explain how you got involved with us. Well, uh, I've always been a shooter um, all my life, and um, so when I uh, when I came to Georgia, I still had that interest, and I uh, was doing some web surfing and came across uh, a site you might remember, um, OpenCarry.org or Packing dot Packing dot org. Yeah, Packing dot org. Yeah, I'm sorry, Packing dot org, and um, and it had uh, state specific. Uh, um, uh, areas where you could go and uh, and and chat uh, or blog and uh, and so into the Georgia section and, and there was a theme where people were just constantly complaining about probate judges taking too long to issue licenses or denying them wrongfully and that that kind of thing. So uh, and, and at that time, I think there was a sixty day uh, time limit supposedly to issue the license. So I, I got on there and I said, well, look, you know, if this is a such a chronic problem, um, you know, why don't you get together and sue the judge uh, for writ of mandamus requiring him or her to issue the license? Um, and this guy with a screen name of Malum Prohibitum jumps in and he says, uh, well, it's not that easy. Uh, it takes uh, time and a lot of money and you'd have to get a lawyer and, uh, you know, you just can't just go around doing that. So I replied, well, look, I'm a lawyer um, and I've got an interest in this. I'll just do it for free. And I said, and by the way, just judging from some of your posts you make, I think you're a lawyer too, and you ought to participate. Well, and I get a private message a few minutes later says, give me a call. Uh, and that was Ed Stone, who was our original president and uh, one of our uh, board members. Right. So Ed and I uh, met online that way and then talked on the phone for a while, and we got together and um, found some of our uh, future members who were um, – having to wait way too long for uh, uh, for their licenses, and uh, we started a lawsuit and to get a writ of mandamus against the probate judge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one of our founding members, James Camp, um, who's also on, on the board of directors, um, uh, became uh, one of our plaintiffs in a case against the uh, probate judge for requiring a Social Security number right. on the license right, application. I remember that. Um, and the state of Georgia was also a defendant in that case. And as a result of that, um, we uh, settled with the state of Georgia where they agreed to uh, not only um, – well, they, they agreed just to take it completely off the application so that it's now uh, no longer even requested of somebody. Right. And then we had uh, – I know we had, after that, not too long after that, I think, we had the um, Cayuta County preemption uh, lawsuit, didn't we? Right, and uh, actually, Ed was the plaintiff in that. Right. Uh, Ed lives in Coweta County, and um, uh, the county had an ordinance prohibiting carrying a uh, firearm in um, county recreation facilities. Uh, so we sued the county for uh, 
for an injunction prohibiting them from enforcing that because of the state law uh, preempting local regulation. Uh, we lost that in the uh, Superior Court, went to the Court of Appeals, and they reversed and said, uh, no, uh, the preemption law means what it says, and uh, you can't regulate carrying firearms on your property. Right. And after that, it was pretty much off to the races. Uh, we kind of developed a name quickly, and uh, we had a lot of cases after that. Right. And, got ourselves down in the legislature and got a whole bunch of laws passed. And well, uh, there's a, um, I remember, uh, if I remember correctly, there were nine counties around Georgia, uh, around Atlanta, that had those uh, laws that you couldn't carry into a park or recreational facility. And we took Cayeta County and we went to all the other counties after we came back with the, from the appeals court. And we said, basically, you can change or we'll, we'll take you to court. Uh, that's true, and, and we had um, several municipalities in Fulton County and Fulton County itself uh, that, that didn't change, uh, so we sued them all, all in one case in mm-hmm. Fulton County, and all of them, uh, except for one, eventually caved and said, all right, we'll stop enforcing it. Uh, the lone holdout was, was our good friends at the city of Atlanta. Uh, so Shirley, we, Shirley Friday. Yeah. So we had to go... Uh, we had to go all the way with that one. We got a court order. We still have a permanent injunction uh, issued by the Superior Court of Fulton County against the city of Atlanta, uh, prohibiting the city from um, enforcing its ordinance against carrying firearms in city parks. Right. So that, uh, with that, what we wound up doing basically was putting teeth into the preemption law. It had been on the books, but nobody ever enforced it, so it wasn't a big deal. And with that, we did. We had uh, a lot of comments. That, another thing that I think was funny when we started off Every time the AJC, AJC did a story on us, you know, we were it was really back when the internet was still fairly young. It was it was established, but it was fairly young. But every time you put georgiacarry.org in a story of theirs, it was a link to our website. Right. And so every time we'd do a, they'd run a story on us about what we were trying to do, and they they would downgrade us and talk about how how scary we were and what we were trying to do to the children and all. And uh, every time they would, the worse the story became, the more members we would get off of that story. Yeah, they and had then, an editorial uh, uh, saying that GeorgiaCarry.org is a dangerous organization. Right. Uh, and as a result of that editorial, I think we, we had, I don't know if that record still holds, we gained more members in a single day than ever before. Yeah, that, I remember that one. And, and what happened after that was um, the, uh, the AJC wrote a, a story a, a few days later and called us guncarry.org. And Matt Knighton, our secretary and, and webmaster, saw it, went and bought guncarry.org and redirected it to our website. <laughs> so when they put in guncarry.org, there it came. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, that, w- that was some of the interesting things that happened in the beginning. Um, and... You have also um, been fairly active in another organization that's kind of a, a sister to us to a degree, and that's Wisconsin Carry. Is that not correct? That's true. Yeah, you do. You've you've run through several lawsuits up there, and and been victorious up there as well as down here. Yeah, in fact, I just uh, won a case in the Supreme Court of Wisconsin against the City of Madison. Um, they ha- their bus department had a rule. Um, banning carrying guns on buses, and uh, and we sued them under the state preemption. We lost in the trial court, and we lost in the court of appeals. 
but the Supreme Court agreed to take the case. Uh, we argued that last September and uh, earlier this month, uh, the opinion came out um, reversing uh, both courts and uh, saying that the uh, city of Madison cannot um, ban guns on city buses. So, so we're um, our our uh, tentacles reach far across the country if we get right down to it. You sure do. Sure do. Uh, we're coming down to the end of this this uh, hour, and it's been very interesting for me. One of the things that I'd like to tell you all about, John, that you probably never get another opportunity to find out uh, unless you're friends with him, and that is that not only is he an attorney, he is a professional engineer. That's electrical, true. Electrical engineer, is that correct? That's right. Yes. Uh, and he has um, he has one of the best woodworking shops that I've seen in a long time in his house, and he is an excellent cabinet maker. Um, you name it. If if it can be done with wood, John can do it. He has uh, he has impressed me and other people. He he's basically rebuilt the house that y'all lived in by adding rooms, changing rooms, etc. And he's also built a an underground uh, firing range at his house as well. Well, uh, my wife actually does most of the work. I generally just make sawdust. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know you do what she says to because Kathy wouldn't have it any other way. No. Uh, I want to remind you one more time, georgiacarry.org website. We, uh, we appreciate all the visits. Go in. We, our, everything that John and I have talked about basically today is on that website. Uh, if you uh, like to join, join up $20 a year. Uh, you can follow us on uh, Facebook. You can follow us at Twitter, GeorgiaCarry, at org, And uh, come give us a try. Also, don't forget the commercial-free podcast on Newstalk1160.com. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to GeorgiaCarry.org radio, hosted by Georgia Carry's Executive Director, Jerry Henry. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Join us each week for information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Saturday mornings at 8 only on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.